get a chance to see what I look like with a little bit of hair, some real and some synthetic, but in either case, I have none now. Uh, 20 years of full-time service, and uh, I, I actually didn't realize that until they called it out at annual conference. I guess it means I'm not counting Our Old Testament lesson today uh, comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 14a. There are three characters here. There's David the king. There is Nathan, who is the king's spiritual advisor. And there is the Lord, who speaks to David through Nathan. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when the king was settled in his house... And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. The king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving around in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, And have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. So that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him And he shall be a son to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, use your servants' lips and your people's ears and hearts that they may be wed today, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with the resurrection joy. Amen and amen. Today we're talking about this house, the house, and you you have to understand that this whole passage works 
because of a pun, and those of you who know me well know that I love a good pun just as much as I love a good cup of coffee. The pun has to do with the word house. It's a word play. David wants to build a house for God. The house there is a temple, a place where God is to be worshipped. But God says, no, you're not going to build me a house. I am going to build a house for you. And the house that God is talking about is a dynasty of kings that will rule in Jerusalem for centuries. A dynasty of kings, eventually, that will give birth to Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Lord and Savior of the world. So the house in this passage has a double meaning. But first of all, let's look at David, the character. We all have dreams. When we're six or seven years old, we we want to go and stand in front of the castle at Disney World. When we're 16 or 17 years old, we can't wait to get out from under the thumb of mom and dad. And then when we're 22 or 23 years old and start paying the rent, we want to go back to see mom and dad for two or three years or more. We, we have dreams. And these dreams might be different depending on the person who's dreaming. Some people want to write a book. I had hoped to do that by the time I was 40. We all see where that dream went. Some of us want to travel to exotic destinations, places that we've seen in books, but we've never set foot on the cobblestone. We want to make a lasting impression on our families. I hope that my family is a a family of faith who takes their faith on to their children and their grandchildren. We like to make some sort of a contribution to the life of the community, to have the world be different because of something we did. I remember going to the post office in Pamplico, South Carolina. I can't remember who the president was back then, but his name was on the... or the name of the president when the post office was built was on the building. And that's what David wanted. David wanted for people to go into the temple and see the administration of David, king of Israel, provided for this temple to be built. Some of us would like to achieve a kind of professional recognition, whatever that might be, to move up in the company, to do things that are different, to achieve a certain level of education. We all have, we all have dreams of one kind or another, and they change as we move through life. But there's a specific phase in life where we start to take a look at dreams. It's known as the midlife crisis. We look at the dreams that we might have had and realized that some of them aren't going to happen. That in fact, some of what we wanted to do is not going to be done. Now, the midlife crisis is defined by the APA Dictionary of Psychology as this. A period of psychological distress thought to occur in some individuals during the middle years of adulthood, and I hate this next part. I thought I was through it. (laughs) Roughly from ages 35 to 65... I've still got 17 years, maybe, to go. 
Causes may include significant life events and health and occupational problems, occupational concerns. The midlife crisis can be that moment somewhere between 35 and 65 where we realize that there are some things we'd hoped to do that we're not going to get to do. There are some things we'd hope to see that we're not going to get to see. There are some wishes that we had that ultimately are not going to come to pass in the same way that we had envisioned them. In other words, we face the sobering reality that we are unlikely to do everything we'd hope to do in our lifetimes. We're unlikely to complete all of the projects that we'd hope to complete. And some things that we'd hoped to do for ourselves are going to remain undone. Some things we'd hoped to do for others are going to remain undone. And some things that we had hoped to do for God are going to remain undone. Now, the midlife crisis doesn't have to take place. That's when it takes place in a major way for a lot of people. But but we have these realizations early on. And we have these realizations much later in life. We have these realizations that everything isn't going to go the way we thought it was going to go. And some of that is simply beyond our control. As Melinda and I thought about and we moved to Danville, uh, what our lives in the next few years would look like, uh, we believed that we would be traveling from place to place to, to watch Rimmelson play college soccer. And as... As we know, that's not something that is is going to happen. It's a dream, something we anticipated that simply isn't going to come. Well, David dreams of building a temple. You can almost see him sitting there. Now, when the king was settled in his house, he's sitting down. Maybe he's got an ottoman in front of him with his feet kicked up. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. And you'll know from the narrative of David and David's wars that there was a lot of time that David didn't have rest from his enemies around him. The king said to the prophet Nathan, See, I am living in a house of cedar. But the ark of God stays in a tent. And Nathan, the spiritual advisor to the king of Israel, says to the king, Go and do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. It's interesting that David's spiritual advisor uh, did not pray before offering advice. Nathan, the king's spiritual advisor, simply echoed what the king wanted to hear. Now, we know that Nathan is no sycophant. He challenges David chapters later right to his face when David and Bathsheba have their tryst. He is loyal and he's present in all of the major events in in David's rule, but he answers quickly. He answers quickly without consulting God on what to do. Never fear. Nathan has the news that God gives him to present. That same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Don't let David get ahead of himself. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build a house for me to live in? Ultimately, this news 
that Nathan offers to David is twofold. First, God's not been living in a house since Egypt. God has been moving around with the people of Israel in this mobile tent, the tabernacle. God has been moving around wherever the people go, there the presence of God is. Wherever the tent is, the presence of God can be sensed. And quite frankly, God says, I'm not dissatisfied with this. I'm not unhappy with this situation of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a, is a movable kind of temple. It's a, it's a worship place where wherever God's people are, there it can be. Now once the temple was built in Jerusalem, things became a little more complicated. If you lived up in Galilee, way up north, and wanted to go down to the temple, you had a journey to take. You had to get people to feed your goats, to take care of your chores. It was not just a day or two's trip from, from Galilee down to Jerusalem. You were going to be there for a while. And so there was an advantage in many ways to having a movable tent that has the presence of God that can be recognized and sensed and experienced and encountered wherever you are. Now, the New Testament, the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that's used there for dwelt is the Greek word that translates the Hebrew tabernacle. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Wherever you are and we are, the presence of God, the Word of God, the Logos of God. Jesus is present. Jesus is present in your home when you have gathered to pray. Jesus is present with you as you go to work and do what God has called you to do. This tabernacle, this availability of God wherever God needs to be. And so, God says, I've not lived in a house since I brought the people of Israel from Egypt. I've been moving around in a tent, in a tabernacle, wherever I've moved around, among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word? This is your idea, he says to David. Not my idea. So, so first of all, God is not unhappy with the tabernacle, and God has not asked David to build him a house. But second, God has blessed David in specific ways. What specific ways has God blessed David? Well, he says, I took you from being a shepherd, following sheep, and I've made you the prince over my people Israel. I have taken you from following sheep and now you find yourself. You find yourself king over my people. So God has blessed David in specific ways and God intends yet to bless David in even more ways even after David's rule has ended. 
And so God talks about what he's done. You shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all of your enemies. Cut off all of your enemies before you. And so we see, we see that God has a plan for David. It's not a bad practice to take an inventory of what God has already done in our lives. And this can be the case whether you're 16 years old or whether you're 96 years old. What's God done in your life? Did God give you believing parents who passed their faith on to you, who made you think about the things of God? Did God take you out of a rough situation and allow you to thrive someplace else? Did God so bring things to pass in the world that the vocation that has been yours for years is the vocation that God had at work or in, in mind for you. It's not a bad practice to think about what God's already done. Who would I be if not for God? Now, some of us as Christians are nasty people enough. Imagine if we weren't Christians. What, what awful anger and bitterness and pain we could inflict on the world. Who would I be if not for God? What's God allowed me to be a part of, to have some part in? What's God done in me? What's God done through me? And how can I give thanks to God even if I don't get to do all of the things that I had hoped to do. Well, what God has done is give David a life that's very different from that of a young shepherd boy. But what God will do is even more impressive. The Lord offers this list of ways that He is going to continue to bless David even after David is in the grave. I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. So if, if David had been asked, who are the great ones of the earth? He would probably have produced a list of names that you and I have probably not heard of. And yet here, I am assuming that the reign of David began in 1000 BC. I hate chronology. It might have been 1017 BC. It might have been 996 BC. I'm just, I like even numbers. 1000 BC. So 3020 years later, after God has said to David, I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth, we probably can't name any of the great ones of the earth that David would have named, but here we are on another continent in another language talking about David. 
I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they will have their own place and be disturbed no more and evildoers will not afflict them as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares... that he will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, God says, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. On the one hand, Nathan is talking about Solomon, the son who David will produce, who will build the temple that David himself wanted to build. On the other hand, he is talking about the great, 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 keep on going, grandchild of David, who will build the house of God, the people of God, the people among whom God's Spirit dwells, the church of whom we are of which we are living stones i will be a father to him and he will be a son to me so the promise david says i want to build a house for god god says no don't worry about that don't worry about what you're going to do for me here's what i'm going to do for you I'm going to make you remembered. I'm going to give Israel a homeland. I'm going to give Israel rest from her enemies. And David, you will birth an eternal dynasty. And David, your offspring shall be God's own son. How is Jesus described in Luke 1? He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. How is he described in John? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? If you ever get a chance to go to the Holy Land, there are a couple of things that you just need to see. Uh, One is the Dead Sea. Now, there is this save the Dead Sea kind of uh, push at the moment. But the Dead Sea is drying up. Uh, More water is evaporating from the Dead Sea than is coming through the Jordan River. And uh, if you see pictures from 20 years ago and pictures from today, you'll think to yourself, I need to go to the Dead Sea now because I want to know what it's like to float. It's cool to float, by the way. You just take your book that you want to read and you, you lean back and next thing you know, you're just kind of on your back. The other thing is to go to Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is an interesting place and number one, the Church of the Nativity is there and you, you get to see the spot. And they'll tell you this is the spot where Jesus is born and it's probably pretty close. 
I don't know that it's down to inches where Jesus was born, but it's probably pretty close to that. And, and then after you come out of the Church of the Nativity, you see all these hillsides. Now, why you should go now and not 30 years from now is those hillsides are starting to have buildings on them and apartments and, and homes and things like that. And so you're not going to be able to see the hillsides in the same way. But when you're in Bethlehem, you recognize to begin with, oh, this is Bethlehem where Jesus was born, but it's not just where Jesus was born. It's the hillsides on which David, Israel's king, kept the sheep for his father, Jesse. The book of Acts says, of this man's posterity, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he has promised. So back to the house. David wants to build a house for God. It's a noble thought. You, you see where he gets it from. Here I am living in luxury, and God is in a tent. But God says to David, don't worry about the house that you intend to build for me. What I have to do for you is much more important. Friends, God is at work in your life, and God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't waste the brokenness that you felt when you were disobedient in your teenage years and did things that you're ashamed of now. That's a part of your story, and God redeems that. Sometimes the dreams that we have remain just that, our own dreams, but regardless, look at what God has done in your life. Take that inventory but also trust that because of your faith and trust in Christ, your life matters in ways that you can't even comprehend. Whatever you want to do for God pales in comparison to what God wants to do for you and in you and through you as you give your life to Jesus Christ. God wants to offer you himself. His promises. Well, some of us may have had midlife crises. Some of us just have crises from time to time. Some of us live in a perpetual state of crisis. But when we see what God has done for us, and what God wants for us, and that God's promise to us doesn't even end when we take our final breath. We recognize that we're a part of something much larger than a single lifetime, much larger than our own wants and desires. We're a part of the will of God for the world. Will you trust Jesus 
to reveal to you something of what God has in store for you, something of what God intends for your life, the ways that God has blessed you, will you entrust yourself to Jesus? This son of David whose reign is forever and ever. Do you have the faith not just to want to build a house, but to see what God wants to build in you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh Lord, give us faith always to see. Give us eyes that can see the unseen. Give us a faith in your promise to see that a thousand years before the birth of Jesus you were speaking to David and sharing with him what you intended to do through his progeny. And so, O oh Lord, give us the faith to see that even when we're disappointed, even when our dreams are not dreams that will come to pass, that you nonetheless have done great things for us and that you long to make our lives significant in ways beyond our imaginings. We pray these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.